0: You guys did it. You guys are here. If you use your phone as an alarm in the morning, hopefully you realize that it's daylight savings, probably why you're a little more tired. But we are here and we are doing this today. Well, my name is Zach. I am the student pastor here. So I do middle school, high school, young adults. I love being here. It is exciting. I just want to emphasize, if you missed it earlier, um, March 15th, we're doing our worship night here. And that is going to be exciting. Is anyone already planning on being there this Tuesday? It is going to be awesome. It's going to be like super just unique awesome night. Um, As well, I just registered today when I was sitting here and Pastor Brian was speaking for the men's conference. So men, if you're here today, make sure you show up to that. It's going to be really exciting and I'm going to be there. So it's going to be a lot of fun um, to get some breakfast. Who doesn't want some free breakfast? So anyways, I am excited to be here hanging out with us today. I want to thank Pastor Mike just for letting me jump into the series we are in called Upside Down, where we're looking at the story of Jesus and really how he flipped the world upside down. And as I think about this and as I get ready just to bring this message that God has put on my heart, man, I can't just think that how much God has flipped my life upside down. The fact that I'm here having the privilege to speak to you guys is proof that God can flip anyone's life upside down. If you would have seen my life just 10 years ago, man, you would have seen a kid who was raised in a good family, had a Christian parents, a dad who was a pastor. But when I was a teenager, the way that life just got a hold of me and the way I cope with the difficulties of life, drugs and alcohol completely just took over my life to the point I got so much in the pit of despair that I nearly almost lost my life until when I was 20 years old when Jesus got a hold of my life. And I am living proof that Jesus does save. And so I am I'm excited for this message today. So will you guys pray with me? <clears throat> Father, Lord, we want to come to you this morning and just invite your Holy Spirit here. Lord, I pray this is a message where we hear your words, Jesus. I pray this is a message not on human effort or performance, Jesus. We just want to hear from you today. So Lord, we ask that you speak to us clearly, Lord, as we read your words today, Jesus. In your name, Amen. Well, here's the cool thing. If you're looking at my life right now, um, you can put a picture of that on right now. You would see my life if you just followed me on Instagram or you kind of look at my life from the outside. It'd be very easy to look at my life right now and agree with me to say, my life is blessed, right? I got an amazing wife, Angelina. Those are our three kids. Levi is my son. Aaliyah is my daughter. They're two and a half. They are twins. And we just had a little baby, Avery. She is two months old. And in fact, that is a picture when the Rams won the Super Bowl. And I have been a Rams fan my whole life and that was a very good day. Right? And so, like I said, it's really easy to look at my life and think that I am blessed. We live in Southern California. We live near our family. Right? It's hashtag blessed. Right? And even if you think about your own life, right? Maybe the way your life is set up, um, the things that are going in in your life, maybe it's very easy for you to acknowledge too that your life is blessed. Right, we hear that word thrown around all the time. Right? You hear celebrities talk about it at award shows. right? They say, I'm so blessed that God gave me this award. My life is so blessed. I don't know if you guys are on Instagram, anyone on Instagram? The hashtag blessed has 141 million posts. right? So that's a lot. I mean, like, probably some of us have even used that hashtag, hashtag blessed. Um, tons of people are using it. And I think the way we think about blessing is this, right? So many of us, we associate blessing to good fortune, right? New car, new girlfriend, start a family, get a promotion, get a puppy. I'm hashtag blessed, right? And when good things happen to us, is that all that it means to be blessed? Because then what about when bad things happen to us, right? What about when life starts getting difficult, Right? What about when we start getting in financial trouble, gas prices are going up to a bajillion million dollars, right? What about when we go through marital issues, mental struggles, wayward teenagers, when we get that cancer diagnosis, that sickness? Does that all of a sudden mean that God has removed his blessing from our life and are we no longer blessed when we go through hard times? Because I know when we think about blessing, all of us want God's blessing. But what we're going to learn today is Jesus, I believe, is going to flip upside down our understanding of what it actually means to be blessed. And as we're going to learn today, I want you to catch this. As we're going to learn today, blessing comes from being a true disciple of Jesus. And so we're going to be asking these questions throughout our reading today. If you're following along in your notes, um, here's what we want to ask and here's what we're going to learn through Through our reading. Number one, who is a disciple? Number two, who does Jesus choose as his disciple? And number three, how do we live as a disciple? Because again, if we want real blessing in our life, we have to understand what it is like to be a real disciple of Jesus. So I'm going to walk through this outline today. I'm excited. If, you follow, if you've ever heard me speak, I kind of speak fast. You've got to keep up with me a little bit, and I'll do my best to make sure this is clear today. But I've got a lot to cover, and I am excited. So here is point number one we're going to look at. All right, point number one is this, submission by prayer. And again, we're asking the question, who is a disciple? And so we're picking up the story today in Luke um, chapter 6, verse 12. If you've been following along with us, we've been going through the story of Luke. Um, and at this point in Luke, My life here. Jesus just done some amazing um, things. He's building some momentum for his ministry, right? He's done some miracles at this point. He's done some healings at this point, right? His name is starting to get out there. He's calling some disciples to follow him, including Peter, including Levi, the tax collector. And at this point, we actually don't know how many disciples Jesus had. But at this point in the story, we know that Jesus actually had a ton of disciples. We're going to read that it said Jesus had a very large crowd of disciples. It was more than 12 disciples. And just that definition of disciple, if you've never heard this, just a simple definition of what it means to be a disciple is simply just this. right? It's a follower um, or a student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. And so it was very common at that time for a rabbi or for a teacher to have disciples. And so for Jesus, his disciples, these weren't just like observers of him. These were followers. These were people that he has called to himself to be a student of him, right? To be someone who was, he was replicating. This is what it means to be a disciple. And this is very important for us because we today as Christians are considered disciples, right? If you call yourself a Christian, that's not just some religious title that's placed on you. You call yourself a Christian because you are identifying yourself as a disciple of Jesus, a student of Jesus. So you can put that slide on the screen. I want to just make sure this is clear because we're building the rest of our talk up from this, right? A disciple is this. To be a disciple is to conform to the likeness of Jesus. And I want us just to have that in our minds right now, because the rest of this is going to build upon that. All right, we ready? Let's jump into the story. Verse 12 starts with this. It says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. If you've read this before, I think it's it can get really easy to read that first verse in verse 12 and kind of just gloss over that. Jesus spent the night praying and then kind of just go into the rest of the story. But I want to just pause for a moment and just acknowledge how significant verse 12 is that we just read. Right, because verse 13 just lets us know that Jesus, meant he had a huge decision to make. Right? It said he was going to choose his 12 apostles. And the reason this was such a, a big decision is because these 12 apostles, that Jesus was choosing for himself, right? These were the 12 special guys that Jesus was gonna kind of bring into his inner circle. These were the 12 guys that Jesus was gonna bring into himself, right? To, to not only um, start the church, right? To not only entrust them with the whole gospel message, to not only give them special authority and power, but they were gonna launch the whole Christian movement that would change the world. So this was like a pretty big decision. And what did Jesus do before this decision? It said he spent the whole night praying. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm at a place in my life right now where I'm not getting much sleep with a couple toddlers and a newborn. And so like I'm someone who doesn't function very well with a little bit of sleep. And so the fact that Jesus spent the whole night praying is fascinating to me. Because you know what that tells me? It tells me that Jesus did not make excuses when it came to prayer. I mean, just think about this for a second. Think about in Jesus' life right now. Crowds of people were following him. His name was getting out there. He had tons of disciples. Just think how easy it would be for Jesus if you were him. To start making excuses, right? Knowing he has a big decision, could have spent like five minutes, Jesus kind of just, you know, or Father, just give me the right, you know, understanding of who I'm supposed to pick. Um, Amen. I know I got a big day tomorrow. I got to do some healings. I got to do some teaching, right? There's going to be crowds of people. I got to make sure I get my sleep, right? It would have been very easy for Jesus to make excuse on this night, but what did he do? Instead, he spent the whole night praying, and I can't help just imagine that during those you know, eight, ten hours or so that, in, that Jesus was in in prayer, that he was bringing each disciple by name to the Father, and going over each disciple by name, going, Father, is this who you want to choose as one of the twelve? And so Jesus prays this, and he doesn't make an excuse, and I think for us, if we are, again are considered disciples, the spiritual logic here for us, I think is so obvious If prayer played a significant role in the life of Jesus, how can we expect blessing in our life if prayer does not play a significant role in our lives? Right, dependent, focused prayer, right? Our prayer life can't just consist of these cute little like dinner prayers and these prayers we rehearse before we go to bed and just expect that to be, you know, us to have this amazing relationship with God, right? If we are students of Jesus, We have to make time even when it's not convenient for real dependent focused prayer. And I have to just say the reason I'm spending a little bit of time on this verse because as I was studying this, as I was praying through this, man, this is where the Holy Spirit hit me the hardest and challenged me the most with. Because here's the truth. All of us got areas where we need God, right? All of us, we got circumstances that are outside our control. All of us have big decisions. All of us have problems and challenges. And how many of us have a family, have children, right? All of us have areas where we need to pray. And I know it's so easy to make excuses and to get busy with life and kind of just put prayer as just a little category of our life. But Jesus, he never made excuses when it came to prayer. He didn't wait for it to be convenient. He made time for prayer. You guys, this is spiritual, Warfare, we're talking about, and it is prayer that is our weapon. So, let me just end by saying this on this point you cannot be a disciple without dependent prayer. Right? Prayer is what makes us like Jesus. So, number one, prayer by our submission by prayer. We said, Who is a disciple? We said, We answered that question by saying, A student of Jesus, and it's prayer that conforms us to the likeness of Jesus. So, again, if you're following along, the application here, the action point um, is hopefully very simple. Is this make time for real prayer. Don't make excuses, right? Let's submit ourselves to these real dependent prayers where we have these moments where we can just cry out and talk to God. Make time for real prayer. Well, let's continue on. Let's talk about point number two. It's called The Chosen. And we're asking, or we're asking the question who is chosen? As a disciple, so here's how the story continues. It says this in verse 13. Um, recap again what I just read. It says, "When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose twelve of them, who he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James son of Alphaeus, Simon who was called the Zealot, Judas son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became the traitor." Now, what I love about this, if you don't know this, is these guys, these were just some straight up country boys, right? These were just some, four of them were fishermen. One of them was a hated tax collector, right? None of these guys were anything special, right? They weren't scribes. They weren't rulers. They weren't rich, right? They were nothing nothing of any importance, right? What we read later in scripture, they actually call these guys ordinary, unschooled men. And when I think about who Jesus chose to be a part of his team, I don't know if you guys have did this when you were younger, but I think back to like when I was in middle school, anytime we played sports, like it was during PE or maybe it was just some pickup sports, um, what would always happen is two team captains would be chosen, and those two team captains would one by one go down the line and choose the kids to be on their team. Now, anytime that happens, here's how it always goes, right? It's always the biggest, the most dominant, the most athletic people that are picked first, and it's always like the least athletic, the least, the weakest is always kind of picked last, now, when I was younger, I'm 6'4 now, but I'm going to let you guess which one of those is me. It is the smallest one. I was the shortest guy. I had like one armpit hair my freshman year of high school, right? It took me a while to catch up to everyone. I was always small. I was, it took me like my junior year of high school till I finally started growing. And so when it came to being picked for like sports like that, even though I was athletic and I played sports, I was never the first one picked. And all of us know it doesn't feel good not to be to be wanted? I mean, just think about it. Anytime we assemble a team for anything, anytime we're trying to win, what makes the most sense? You pick the most dominant people to be on your team first with the expectation that they're going to be the ones to help you win. What no one does is no one picks the weakest and the least of people to be on their team first, unless you're God. Unless you're Jesus. I want to read you a quote right now from Oswald um, Chambers. If you don't know who that is, just listen to this quote because he says it so much better than I can say it. He says, God can achieve his purposes either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebody's only when they renounced their dependence and their natural abilities and resources. See, what makes God so amazing is he doesn't choose us to be a part of his team based on our abilities. He chooses us based on our humility. And I believe this is so significant for us to hear because if I'm being honest, I think all of us would admit that we all have areas in our life where we feel inadequate. Right, Maybe some of us are here this morning and we're feeling inadequate to be the kind of leader that we want to be. Maybe we're feeling inadequate to be the kind of parent we want to be. We're feeling inadequate right now to be the spouse we want to be. I'm sure there's some of us who are feeling just simply inadequate to be the kind of Christian that we want to be. And if we don't feel that at all right now, if we're like, I got everything together and I got bad news for you. You're actually disqualifying yourself To be a part of Jesus' team. Because inadequacy, I believe, is actually the doorway to humility. And what I mean by that is when we come to a place in our life, maybe we're broken enough or we're humble enough to actually say, God, I am not enough without you. You know what that does for us? That causes us to lean into God more. That causes us to pray harder. That causes us to seek harder. That causes us to ask God for more grace. And that leads us to a place of humility. So here's the question. Who is chosen as a disciple? God chooses the humble, so the action point here, again, I think is very simple for us. Just offer yourself as available to God. All right? Again, what's so amazing about God is he doesn't require much from us. He just requires that we come to him with a completely humble heart and just say, here I am, God, use me. I don't know how you can use me. I, I don't feel like I'm that great, but I know you are great, God. Use me however you want. All right, we believe there's two big areas, like there's really two areas where God can use you. It's out in the world. It's making yourself available with your friends, at your coworkers, at your job, with your family and saying, you know what, God, use me. I'm going to start every day and just use me to make a difference in someone's life today. And secondly, we believe that God can use you at church, right? at Jesus' church. One of the things our pastoral team gets so excited about is we want to be a church where we together are growing and becoming disciples of Jesus right? Maybe, maybe the action point for you here is to come to the place to actually humble yourself to jump into a serve team, right? I can just, I mean, I'm the student pastor here. Can I just uh, speak on that for a minute? I would love to talk with you about joining in our student ministry, right? It takes a lot of humility to be with some teenagers. I'll leave it at that, right? And maybe you're more wired. Maybe children is where you're at, I know Pastor Stephanie will love to talk with you about what it looks like to get plugged in and making a difference in a child's life, right? We have a Sunday guest service team that you can serve. There are tons of areas where you can come to a place and just say, you know what, God, I'm going to humble myself to say, you know what, it's time for me just to start serving you and serving your church, right? Just ask yourself, make yourself available to God, offer yourself as available to God. All right, I hope you guys are tracking with me. You guys still with me? Because all of this right now is gonna play a part in how we understand what it is like to be blessed. So let's get into this last part of the passage we're gonna read. Here is point number three: we're calling it the blessed. And we're asking the question: how to live as a disciple? So we're picking up here in the story right now. Jesus just picked his 12 apostles. And just think, like, man. Think how empowered they must have felt, right? Out of all the disciples, they probably were following Jesus. They knew he was something special. They knew he was great. They had no idea. They were going to be picked to be one of the apostles. I would imagine they had no idea. And here they are. Now they're picked. And I imagine they're feeling puffed up. They're probably looking around like, yeah, like (laughs) I'm one of the 12, right? And so with this, Jesus grabs those 12 and the rest of his disciples. And it says this. It says in verse 17, it said, he went down with them and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples, so we know there was many disciples uh, on top of the 12 that were chosen. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and all who tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. I want us to just imagine right now, like how crazy this scene must have been. Right here is Jesus. Right, he's with his disciples. There's a hu- we don't know how many people, but say there's a huge crowd of people, and Jesus is healing people. I don't know if you've ever been in a room where like a healing has happened, but that is a miracle, right? People start screaming, people start cheering when they see that, right? And this is happening. Jesus is casting out demons out of people. They're screaming as they're being freed. I'm sure they're crying, and people are just praising Jesus. I'm sure there was so much buzz and excitement as just this power it says was coming from Jesus. And I'd imagine it must have been just so completely impossible for the disciples, for all of them, including the 12 apostles, to look at this moment that's happening, right? They're following Jesus and they're watching all of this power come from Jesus. Like I said, it would have been impossible for them to look at this and not start thinking about all the fame, right? All the power, all the money, all the prestige that was probably going to be coming their way if they just stayed close to this supernatural Jesus. And as they're thinking this, I'm sure, and as they're feeling this, and as they're watching this, no doubt Jesus sensed this because he pauses where he's at and he flips everything upside down. And here's what he says. He says, looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now, I believe this is just as shocking to hear today as it was 2,000 years ago. And if this passage kind of sounds maybe a little bit familiar to you, right, this also comes from Matthew chapter 5, This is known as a Sermon on the Mount, right, one of Jesus' most famous teachings. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaks a little bit different. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. He says, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. What we're reading here in Luke chapter 5 is very well possible, a completely different occasion than what is spoken about in Matthew 5, because here... Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples. He's speaking directly to them. And he said, blessed are you, blessed are you who are poor. And again, when his disciples were probably the most puffed up, when they were the most, like, empowered, when they had the greatest expectations of fame, money, and power, Jesus slams that all away, and he tells them, Look, blessed are you who are uh, poor, hungry, and hated, and woe to you who who are full, loved, and rich. Now, we're probably hopefully thinking maybe the same thing the disciples were thinking. Poor, hungry, and hated Jesus? Doesn't that sound like the opposite of being Blessed. You know, when Jesus, when he spoke these words to his disciples, I believe he was further emphasizing a theme he came to this world to teach. This was not some like out of the ordinary teaching from Jesus where he teaches one thing and then he has this one passage where he talks about blessed are the poor. No, Jesus here was teaching a theme that he came to this world to teach us. Right? The application here for us as we read this today isn't that we have to just give all of our money away, go on extreme diets so we are always hungry and never laugh and be sad and then maybe we will be blessed. No, what Jesus was teaching here is Jesus understood that one of our biggest problems is that we have placed all of our value in this life and we have completely ignored the purpose of investing into eternity. So Jesus, what he was doing is he was looking at his disciples and he's going, look, I know you're probably expecting fame, power, and money when you follow me, but actually if you're going to follow me, you're going to be poor, you are going to be hungry, and you are going to be hated. But if you can follow me to the end, this life following me is not about finding comfort in this life. Following me is about having the glory of eternity promised to you." You. Wow. I think of it kind of like this a little bit. If you're a parent or you're a grandparent in this room or you're an uncle or an aunt or something like that, you, you'll, you'll understand a lot what I'm saying right here. But when a young person starts to make some money, right, how, much, how many of you guys know the importance of teaching that young person to start saving, right, to start investing into their retirement, I believe all of us would agree how foolish it would be, right, for a young person to start making some money and for the, I don't know, 40 years they're working, just say, hey, you know what? Spend all of your money day to day because you're going to have way more fun, right? We know that would be horrible, right, because retirement is coming, and even though you might have fun now, you're ruining your life later, right? None of us would teach a young person that. The truth is, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he spoke to us like little children. He was trying to just help us understand that we are not to place all of our value in this life because Jesus said, it is eternity where I am calling you home. So number three, the blessed, right? How do we live as a disciple? The answer here is eternal living over temporal living. So again, the action point here, I hope, is is simple for us to grasp. I'm going to explain this here. The action point, the application, is to make the decision to invest into eternity. And I want to kind of just end today by giving you this illustration to hopefully bring it all together. Um, This is not my sippy cup to drink out of, if you're wondering why I was sitting up here. This is actually my children's sippy cup. Um, you can put a picture up there of my kids right here. This is, this is again, this same, same awesome Rams. They had to flex as much as I could with the Rams winning. But, uh, anyways, they're about two and a half right now, right? They did this a lot and it was really annoying when they were around one and a half years old, um, is they had sippy cups like this. And so we would give them to them and it'd be filled with water. And you know, when their cup would get empty, right, they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand their cup was empty and they'd be trying to drink from their empty cup and they would start to get frustrated because it was empty. And me being their father who loves them understands that they cannot fill their cup on their own. And so I would try to go to them and I would try to take their cup from them so that I could fill it. But in their little minds, they couldn't understand why I was trying to take their cup from them. So they would scream and they would fight and they would resist with everything they could to hold on to their cup because they were scared to give me the cup and to let go of their cup so I could fill it. I share that with us because I believe this is exactly what it looks like for us. Right, We are holding on to the comfort of this world and we're squeezing onto an empty cup, not even realizing that our cup is empty. And we hold on to the things of this world so tightly. And what ends up happening because of that is we place our comfort above our commitment to Jesus. See, when that happens, we start saying things like and we start believing things like, man, you know what? I deserve to be happy. And we start thinking like that. We start to pursue chasing happiness over our commitment to Jesus. We start saying things like, man, you I deserve to be healthy. And when that doesn't happen and God doesn't answer our prayers like we expected him to, we start to get mad and we start to reject God. We start to say things like, man, I deserve for my spouse to love me exactly how I want them to. And when that doesn't happen, we start immediately looking for an escape route. We say things like, man, I deserve to have that house. I deserve to have that job. I deserve to have those perfect kids. And when that happens, we start structuring our life around pursuing those things rather than placing Jesus at the center. It's so easy for us to start placing our comfort above our commitment to Jesus. And we don't even realize that we're squeezing on and holding on to an empty cup when God is wanting to fill it. You see Jesus when he came to this earth he came with a message to proclaim to us and that message was let go let go of this world right let go let go of your insecurities let go of your pride let go of your plan let go of your unforgiveness let go of your comfort Jesus says let it go It's until we come to the place of trusting Jesus and letting go of our cup and stop clinging on to an empty cup, if we cling on to the things of this world, we will never experience true blessing. And when we release our cup to Jesus, you know what that looks like? That looks like completely just surrendering to him and saying, you know what, Jesus, here's my cup. Here is the world. I don't care what this looks like. I don't care if I never get married. I don't care if I'm poor forever. I don't care if my spouse will never love me the way I want them to. I don't care if you make me move halfway across the world. I don't care, Jesus. I don't care about anything in this world as long as you come first. I cannot live this life without you. And the irony is when we finally come to a place of releasing our cup, and giving it to Jesus, it is only then can our cup be filled. And I can't explain to you what it's like to feel the presence of God. I can't explain to you exactly with words what it's like to feel that presence. I can just simply try today to do my best to point you how to get there. So here's what I want to end with. I believe being blessed is this. Freedom. It's freedom in Jesus' name. This is why you can be blessed when you're rich, you can be blessed when you're poor, you can be blessed when blessed when you're hungry. You can be blessed when you're full. You can be blessed when everyone hates you. You are blessed when everyone loves you. You are blessed because you are free from this world. You are free from the grips of this world, and Satan has nothing on you. If he can't use this life to hold you, he has nothing left. This is what it means to be free in Jesus' name. There are so many verses. This is what, I mean, everywhere I read in scripture, this is everything points to this, and I want to just read you this one verse to end today. 2 Corinthians 4.18. It says, for we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So let me just ask us this last question, and then I'll I'll close this out here. Again, if you want to be blessed, I think we need to ask ourselves this question. When was the last time you sacrificed for Jesus? Jesus. Right. Have you sacrificed with your money, saying Jesus, you come before my finances? Have you sacrificed with your time, saying Jesus, I'll humble myself to serve whatever that looks like? Have you sacrificed with your comfort, saying Jesus, I'll talk to whoever, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers? I know it might be awkward. I know it co- might cost me some comfort, but Jesus, I am going to do this because eternity is what matters. Have you sacrificed? all night praying for your children, praying for your family, praying for your friends who don't know Jesus. Again, I don't know about you, but that's the one that hits me the hardest. This is where God is speaking to me too. I'm just hoping that I can help us understand today that being blessed is about finding freedom in Jesus' name experiencing real blessing is being free from this world and just completely surrendering to Jesus. When we do that, we will experience what it is like to feel real blessing. And so again, just to recap, here's the action steps for us today. The application, make time for real prayer. Don't make excuses. Don't wait for it to be convenient because it will never be convenient. Make time for real prayer. Offer yourself as available to God. What does it look like for you to humble yourself to jump in to serve? Jesus said, I came to this earth not to be served, but to, or not to, ser, not to be served, but to serve. And lastly, invest into eternity. Remember what we do in this life impacts eternity. So church, my call for us is that we let go we let go of this world. We completely surrender to Jesus and we just watch how God moves. Let me, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, I pray your words are, are heard today. Holy Spirit, you have a way of speaking to our hearts individually. Holy Spirit, you have a way that every single one of us are maybe hearing this message from you today, Jesus, differently. Lord, whatever, however you spoke to us today, Lord, whatever it is that we needed to hear, whatever it is that we need to let go of, God, we ask for your help in this. We thank you that you are a gracious God. We thank you that you are a loving God. We thank you are a God who doesn't give up on us, who walks with us, who is patient with us, Father. And so we ask for your help in this. This is not something that's easy. The world has its way of just holding on to us so tightly and we don't wanna let go. So Jesus, I just ask that we can begin to find freedom in your name. We thank you for this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, right now we're gonna kind of end our service and we're gonna move into our time of communion. And the reason this is so significant for us is because Jesus wasn't just a great philosopher. He wasn't just a great teacher. He wasn't just a great rabbi, right? Jesus is our savior, He's the savior of our sins. He's the savior of the world. He's the savior that brings us into eternity. And so I don't know, I mean, how you're hearing this message today and I don't know where you're at, but I wanna just say, if you are here today and it's time for you to come home, if this world and this life has got a way of just kind of wedging between you and Jesus, then I wanna encourage you that today be the moment where you place your faith back to committing to being a disciple of Jesus. If you're hearing this today and for the first time you're realizing that hey i need to fully just commit my i need to stop playing around i need to just fully commit to this i can't wait till tomorrow i'm not going to put off till next week today is the day where i'm committing to following jesus i'm going to walk you through a prayer right now here in a second And if you pray this prayer with me, I want to encourage you to take communion with us. Because Jesus tells us the reason we take communion is to to remember his grace. We take the bread to remember his body that was shed for us. We take the juice to remember his blood that was shed for us. And we remember that all of our sins are paid for in the name of Jesus. And eternity is promised to every single one of us who cling on to the hope of Jesus. So if you need to make that prayer with me today, I'm going to pray. And after I finish praying, um, you are free to take communion um, on your own time so if you need to commit your heart to Jesus today I, I want to just ask that you pray this with me Jesus I admit that I am a sinner Jesus I ask that you forgive me Jesus I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again on the third day Jesus I commit myself, to be your disciple. Jesus, we take communion today to just thank you and remember your grace. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.